Welcome to this episode of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where I talk to leading lights in plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. I'm your host, Hannah Senior of PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. And through this, I've been privileged to get a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, farming systems, and the environment. I'm excited to share a little of this with you as we meet some of the amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. This week, I'm talking to Jodie Souter from Saskatchewan, Canada. Jodie talks about forging her own entrepreneurial path as an independent plant breeder, about competitive athletics now it helps her in her business, and her Nuffield scholarship study into the regulatory frameworks that underpin the plant breeding industry in Canada and the rest of the world. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome Jodie Souter of J4 AgriScience. Um, would you like to start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So, um, as you said, my name is Jody Suter. I'm a Canadian plant breeder. Um, I grew up in a in small town, Saskatchewan, Canada, and so um, it's a it's a rural farming um, type community. And when I say small, I to put it into context, I graduated in a class of five people, so it's it's quite small. And my dad is a farmer. So when we were growing up, me and my three sisters, my dad and my uncle had actually just started um, a dairy farm before we we were born. Um, and they were grain farmers as well with their dad. And so we kind of saw like the development through our through our early lives, the development of a of a company, um, an agricultural company. So I guess in my path of plant breeding was unusual I guess I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I went into university I'd been accepted into a couple different programs and um, I actually ended up in arts and science for two years and then recognized and and a astute um, um, counselor I guess school counselor recognized that I was setting myself up for a plant science degree so I actually switched into agriculture I really I really was science-based. I, I knew I wanted to do something in the sciences. I was a little bit of a science nerd growing up. Um, but the plant aspect and the agricultural aspect really drew my focus. And to be quite honest, I, I knew what a plant breeder was. I kind of knew what they did, but I'd never even given it a second thought until I took my first introductory plant breeding class. And it was just like that light bulb moment. Like I walked in and it was like, one or two classes in and I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. And we had a fantastic professor in it. And um, it was just a, one of those like life changing, I guess, courses that finally made my path clear. I've never been to Saskatchewan. What's it like? What is Saskatchewan like? Well, we, we get made fun of a lot for being flat. We also get made fun of a lot for being the province that's easy to draw but hard to spell. So Saskatchewan, if you if you know Canada, it's pretty much halfway between Vancouver and Toronto, give or take a little bit. Like it's right in the middle. It's a large province. Um, so it's actually a quite diverse province, but most people who visit only hit um, a very small portion or, or tour a very small portion. And that portion is quite flat. The jokes that you can see your dog running away for five days, you know, those, those kind of jokes, but <laughs> realistically, it's, it's a very varied 
uh, geography, I guess, because we, you know, there's forest in the north and it is quite flat to the south. And where I'm from, it's it's still farming and agricultural land. Climate wise, do you get very warm summers, very, very cold winters and quite a short summer season. Is that how it works? Yeah. So very short summer, but I think we have one of the best summers in the world. I love it, but it is, it is quite short. So we have, you know, late April, early May is kind of where, where everything melts, all all the snow melts. And then we'll expect our first snowfall mid-October, early November. Um, And so our summers, yeah, we get up to, you know, 32, 34 degrees Celsius. We're usually about 25, 26, but you know, we will get up to those high temperatures, but we'll also hit minus 30, minus 35 in the winter. It fluctuates very, very widely between the seasons, right? So. So the climate and those extremes of temperature must affect the way that you carry out your plant breeding, right? Yes, we definitely have different strategies of breeding, I guess, than other places around the world that have the potential to plant year round or, you know, just modifications with polyhouses or shade cloths can plant year round. Um, I mean, the, the environment helps agriculture. It, it, it helps us reduce diseases and insects. We definitely have enough diseases and insects that can um, still come in in our summer, but for the most part, compared to other other places around the world, that minus 30, 35 really does decrease our um, prevalence, I guess, of insects and disease. So that really helps the agricultural community. But it's, it's, it's not that easy to breed <laughs> outdoors in minus 35. So you have to come up with other options, obviously. And in Canada, there are some really stringent professional qualifications you need to acquire before you can market yourself or put yourself out there as a plant breeder. Tell me a bit about that. In Canada, to be a CSGA recognized plant breeder, you either need to get a PhD and then do a year of uh, independent um, work, I guess, that gets then gets um, evaluated by a group of your peers, or which is the path I took, and or you can do a master's, and I believe it's five years of, of um, study uh, before you get evaluated by a group of your peers. And so that was quite daunting. Um, I, I did well in school, but I was, I'm not really the personality that, you know, I, I should be a, a lifetime academic. <laughs> um, going into grad school scared me a lot. And so when I got done my undergrad, I knew I wanted to be a plant breeder, but taking that commitment or making that commitment to go into grad school was, was really difficult. Um, and sport helped me. I was still involved in sports through the university. So I was like, okay, I'll start my master's. We'll, we'll do the master's. And then uh, eventually I, I did roll up my master's into a PhD, got that requirement out of the way, um, did my independent year, I guess, of plant breeding and then applied and am now recognized in Canada as a plant breeder. CSGA, if I understand it correctly, is Canadian Seed Growers Association. Yes. Yeah. So you you got your PhD, you became a CSGA recognized plant breeder, and then you decided that you weren't going to stay in academia and you wanted to set up your own business. So tell me a bit about that, because that is a somewhat unusual set of decisions to make. And, um, you know, tell me about how you how you chose that path. Yeah, it's very unusual and even more unusual in Canada, I think, than other places in the world. A few life events happened right as soon as I finished my PhD. I ended up 
taking a couple months off and running harvest with my dad. Um, my grandpa passed away and my uncle broke a hip right before harvest. So we lost two of our, you know, our main managerial people in harvest. And obviously that's a tough time to go find somebody else. So I, I went home and, and did a, a harvest season with my dad and, and helped him out. I think it just gave me a little bit of time to think and and about where I wanted to go with my career and how best I could use my talent to help Canadian agriculture. And I was just, I just thought to myself, like, what is going to make me most productive? And I truly came up with the conclusion that that would be through a business. And what better time to start than now? So I, I started as a contract plant breeder. Did that for about three years and then rolled into what I call, you know, quote unquote, independent plant breeding, which is just starting up a private plant breeding company. Um, We still do some contract plant breeding for projects for specific um, like crops or traits that say, you know, an end user or or a farming group or whatnot would want. But realistically, um, we're we're targeting and focusing on objectives and crops that we see will advance North American agriculture and and be that kind of third lane in Canada that there are a few examples, but it's really not a well-defined lane yet. Um, so we can help help build that lane up. So what kind of traits are you focusing on then? Or uh, Well, traits and crops are you focusing on? Yeah, so I say I'm a, uh, a pulse and specialty crop breeder. So I was educated in the pulses um, and have taken on quite a few specialty crops uh, contracts. But what I look for is um, kind of those gaps that are being left behind in crops. Um, so we have a really well-defined government breeding program. We have a really well-defined academic breeding program in Canada, but they can do certain things that I, I could never do, right? Like I'll never sequence a genome is the example I use and they can do stuff they can do projects like that whereas being a private or independent plant breeder we can do things that they potentially can't do and it's that gap that we really want to fill in it's the flexibility that we add the um you know we can we can do things right away we don't need to wait for approval and and budgeting and funding potentially um so it's it's those sort of things i guess and there's quite a few crops in canada that are quite major crops they're considered minor crops in canada or major crops in canada i guess but around the world it's they would be high acreage so anything from a hundred thousand acres five hundred thousand acres a couple million acres they only have one plant breeding group working on them and so obviously one plant breeding group can't focus on everything all at once right so a lot of those crops we're kind of focusing on as we can come in and be a second um, source of genetics and a second source of these traits for Canadian plant or Canadian agriculture. Being that flexible body or company to fill in these gaps of plant breeding in these crops that need a little bit of additional um, time and energy spent on them. So you can react more quickly than a, a big academic type program. That's kind of one of your key advantages is that have I understood that correctly yeah absolutely it depends I guess what system we run under but like we don't have to apply for approvals um, to switch our breeding programs or whatnot right we can we can react to the changing environment quite a bit quicker Um, so I think that makes us that gives us a little bit of an advantage there for sure 
And you you said that you trained as a, a pulse breeder, and of course, mm. pulses have seen huge amounts of interest in the last few years as you know plant-based diets have become so much more popular um is that one of the reasons that you chose that route or is it um and is it turning out to be a, a, an advantage that you do have that background yeah i always definitely advantage that i have that background it is one of the hottest areas in agriculture right now i don't think I was that. <laughs> I don't think I selected it for that reason. I think I always, I always wanted to work on crops that were up and coming. Um, I always wanted, you know, my my legacy or the work that I I did create to help something kind of grow and thrive, right? Um, so pulses are definitely an area where where that can happen for sure. They're so such an interesting body of crops, right? I kind of got into breeding them because my masters when I was in molecular biology was was focused on nitrogen fixation and so that's kind of why I started impulses but uh, I think it was fortuitous for sure I guess I I don't want to say that I masterminded it for sure but it was kind of a fortuitous landing and as I understand it pulses are sort of historically underserved as a as a group of crops for for plant breeding plus there's quite a lot of agronomic challenges around pulse growing particularly well, certainly in the UK, I know that to be the case. Um, and so does that sort of create a lot of uh, both the direction of the work that you're doing and the challenges that you're trying to overcome? Yeah, I think there's room to grow in almost every pulse crop in Canada. Looking at the Canadian landscape particularly, I think that most, if not all of them, definitely have their challenges and their obstacles. And as they build and as they increase in acreage, that's expected. Um, so definitely it, it forms a, you know, a lane for us to go in and assist in innovation in, in those areas for sure. You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security and more sustainable agriculture. Now back to the podcast. We met because we're both Nuffield Farming Scholars and we were both at the Contemporary Scholars Conference in Australia just before the world shut down on account of COVID. Can you give the listeners a little overview of what a Nuffield Farming Scholarship is before we talk more about your specific scholarship topic? Yeah, so Nuffield Scholarship is a very unique opportunity to agriculture. Um, it's a international scholarship body. Um, there's quite a few countries in the world that participate. And so in Canada, we call it a, a mid-career scholarship um, for people in agriculture that are expected to um, have more influence in their field um, with time, I guess. It really, all it is, is an in uh, worldwide study. You get, a, you get a Nuffield scholarship and you go on this worldwide study of a problem in your field or a pro or a, a topic, I guess you pick a topic in your field and travel to wherever you need to travel in the world to go figure out or find answers or get a little bit of perspective on your topic of choice. And I guess I should, I should thank the people that are sponsoring it because obviously for my project, I, I, it, it, it takes quite a bit of, um, energy and money. So um, to Nuffield, Canada. And then my um, sponsors are the Canadian Canola Growers Association, Crop Life Canada, Canadian Seed Trade Association, and Saskapulse are all doing what they can to make my project a reality. 
Um, so yeah, you and I met, um, I had started my travels. I started my independent study in Australia. And then you and I met at the Contemporary Scholars Conference, which is uh, the conference that we, we all get together, all the scholars from that year around the world get together and and meet each other and discuss um, agriculture acro- acro- across the globe. Yeah. And it's a great opportunity. It can cover a huge range of different topics and interests. And for your scholarship, you're exploring opportunity and obstacles for Canadian plant breeding. So that's pretty broad. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, well, it's quite broad. <laughs> so I'm probably going to have to <laughs> narrow it down as I as I go along. But right now, Canada is kind of at a fork in the road with plant breeding. Um, and there's quite a few different um, pieces that are coming into play um, that are really going to decide whether people like me can exist in in the plant breeding world. We just signed on to UPOV 91 in 2015. So that gives us a little bit more control of our own intellectual property. Um, And so we're trying to figure out the best way to utilize that. And and in my case, build a plant breeding company under that framework and under that structure and countries around the world like Australia um, and the UK, I think, I can't remember when you guys came on, but potentially like 2000, 2005 ish, Australia came on in 2000. So obviously there are things that other countries that came on 20 years ago or signed on to UPOV 20 years ago have figured out or have tried that potentially could help us speed up, um, signing it 15 years later than other countries around the world did. Um, so that's a big one. That's a big part of my topic. But the other side is looking at biotechnology laws around the world. Um, Canada right now, our biotechnology framework is hopefully going through some modernization um, and some responsible modification. And um, just what my project is, is looking at other countries in the world and their biotechnology laws and how potentially they're getting more opportunity to be innovative than what we are in Canada um, and how that's going to affect agriculture in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years Um, and kind of building the case for some responsible changes to our our plant with novel trait uh, laws and regulations. And I want to just um, interject that um, UPOV is the French abbreviation for the International Union for the Protection of New Varieties of Plants. If if you're new to that term and you go Google it, there's kind of quite a lot of pushback on UPOV for, for restricting the rights of farmers and so on. And yet the way you described your background, you know, you're you're very much motivated by bringing better varieties for the farming community. So do you have a view on um, whether plant breeders' rights are a good thing, a bad thing for the farming sector, as well as for plant breeders themselves and bringing new varieties to market? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think one of the benefits of me just as a person is I have both of those hats and I wear both of those hats still to this day. Like I still am actively farming with my family farm, but I'm still actively being a plant breeder. And so I think I bring an interesting perspective. And I think a lot of the time I play devil's advocate quite well. (laughs) And and sometimes probably too much people want to get me out of the room. But um, no, I think in the like, 
with time, it's a fantastic thing for Canadian farmers um, for several different reasons. Well, one of the reasons is it spurs innovation. It gives the ability for plant breeders to fund their own research and b- bring in funding from other places because now that we control the own, our own genetics, um, I think it'll give confidence to other parts of the supply chain to invest in plant breeding. Um, and this way we can be more innovative and bring crops to the Canadian agriculture landscape that will make them more competitive globally. And I think it's tough for farmers to see because plant breeding is a long-term game. We don't, you know, they can't pay us a dollar now and we'll have something next year, right? Like we are, we are always looking 10, 15 years out into the future because that's how long it takes to develop these varieties. Um, And then that being said, we have the ability to be more innovative, but with that we have the ability to protect that innovation so now we can go with plant breeders rights on a variety um the plant breeder defines you know what the purpose is who it gets sold to so when these genetics in the past have gone to wherever place overseas and and became a variety there so all of the money that went into that innovation was lost to a competitor now we can be a little bit more protective over those genetics and keeping um, the money spent helping the people who spent the money potentially. And well, it's not a new concept for people in other parts of, of the world. Like I've said, like some countries have had it for 20 years, uh, have been operating under that framework for 20 years. We're just kind of catching up and it's, it's a change for sure. Um, and so I think with any change, there's always going to be some pushback, but I think we'll find that this is quite a, um, ad- advantage for farmers in the end too. And our plant breeding rights laws in Canada were kind of written to try to make sure everybody benefited for sure. Mm-hmm. And and I know because of COVID and it's been a dreadful year to try and do a, a travel scholarship. Um, <laughs> but from where you are now, from what you understand at the moment, um, do you think there are particular countries that are balancing this this sort of um, set of interests well, the interests of farmers, the interests of plant breeders, the interests of um, people investing in new varieties uh, and, and places that aren't doing it so well. Yeah, well, I think I think there's countries that we can definitely learn from, the countries that have, have signed on to these regulatory acts, I guess, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and also with the PNT or plant with novel traits laws, which are our biotechnology laws, um, looking at countries that have have taken a different approach to those as well. Um, so one of the big countries in the country that I was actively studying when we were sent home due to COVID um, was Australia. So they came on to UPOV in um, early 2000s and their biotechnology laws are quite a bit different than ours. And so I think we'll be able to use them as a model of, and we're probably, we'll probably start seeing it quite, quite rapidly here about how much more innovative they are in Australia than we are in Canada, um, to use those two examples. And obviously, Australia and Canada compete for some of the same export markets. How is Canada going to fare in, in 10, 15, 20 years when they have more competitive products um, than we do in Canada because of, of the way that they, their plant breeding regulations were structured? 
I'm going to change direction and go back to something you said earlier on. You talked about how sport has been a really important part of your life. And in fact, you said that you chose where you were going to study on the basis of sport. So tell me a bit about that. Um, I understand you were a competitive runner. And has that influenced how you think about your business? Um, yeah. And so in Canada, we get five years of eligibility in our, in our university sport. And that's kind of, you know, what helped me choose to continue, um, on into master. My master's program is after my undergrad finished, which is four years, I had another year of competitive eligibility left. So I, I started my master's because I had that one extra year, right. That I, I wanted to continue to be in university. I, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And it taught me a lot of life lessons. Um, but I think particularly now that I've started my business, I'm starting to recall a lot of those lessons that we learned in sport and are able to take them out of the context that I learned them in and now apply them to business. And I kind of chuckle to myself quite a bit, actually, because pretty much every day, you know, I'm kind of hearing the words of my, my coaches in, in the back of my head and variety development has nothing to do with distance running, right? They're pretty, pretty on pretty different, um, uh, avenues to take. Right. But there's so many lessons that, that I learned in sport that I can apply in business in particular. And it's, it's funny. I was listening to an Arlene Dickinson podcast who in Arlene Dickinson is a, a very, um, successful Canadian businesswoman, And she was said on her podcast that, it's inevitable that sometime during a meeting, um, a man is going to make a sports metaphor. And I chuckled to myself because I'm, I guess I'm breaking gender norms because I'm that person that like always uses the sports metaphors to try to, to try to get my points across. Cause it's, there's some very interesting, I guess, parallels between sport and business. Can you give me an example? There's kind of two different parts of business that I've really utilized sports, I guess, sports references or what I've learned in sports. And, and one is competition right now. Um, in Canada, I think there's kind of a fear of competition in plant breeding because the word competition takes on such a negative connotation and, and people don't want our plant breeders like duking it out in the parking lot. Right. And that's kind of, I think what they see, but competition in from where I am has always been a positive, Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that would you run as fast if you were running the race by yourself? Whereas if you go and put a couple people beside you, like, are you going to run faster because those people are beside you? Or are you going to train harder or figure out that you can break a barrier because somebody else has broken that barrier? And so that's kind of how I see competition, you know, as a positive. And a lot of my competitors have been some of my best friends through my life, right? You you go and compete on the track and then you walk off and, and you can go for a drink or or, you know, clap each other on the back because, you know, when they break that barrier it's going to motivate you to break that barrier. And I see that in, in plant breeding as well. Like it's, it's competition is not a bad thing. Like, and so I, I, I see, I see it as being a good thing. I see it as, you know, you can do competition very, very healthily. And I think more competition is only going to help if the people competing are doing it, you know, correctly or, or with the best intentions. Um, so I see that kind of as, as one way. And, and I think the other thing that it teaches me is a lot about motivation and how to motivate yourself, how to motivate others. Um, 
what what helps and what doesn't work and and whatnot. And I think that's kind of where those lessons that coaches tried to teach us and we thought we understood them um, are really coming in into play because now it's like, oh, I took that lesson. I, I again pulled it out of the context that I learned it in and, and applied it in this situation. And now I I see it from, you know, a different perspective or all of a sudden it takes on this other dimension and distance running is a struggle. You know, it's every day you're just trying to get better and get better. And there's no, you know, there's no, there is an end line in the race, but there's obviously no, um, finish to how well you can do. Like you can always get better. You can always get a little faster. You can always, you know, work and get, get a little more and you never really know what your, um, what your capacity is. And I think that's in business too. And so you have to take kind of that same, like slow and steady, continue to work, continue to build, continue to motivate because you don't ever know really what, what your capacity is in business. There's no like obvious end point, right? That's a, some great analogies there. I mean, you know, and the, and the sort of importance of grit and you have a bad day, but you just have to keep going, <laughs> pick yeah. yourself up and go again. <laughs> Absolutely. And what you tell yourself and what you tell other people and, you know, like the, the, you like, I've almost started to use sports psychology in business and it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's fantastic. Someone can do a Ted talk about all the ways sport and business <laughs> parallel each other, but I don't know. I think all the lessons I've learned from sport are really, really helping me in, in business for sure. Brilliant. Re- it's really interesting. And it's really interesting as well hearing you talk about it with such passion. You know, it's clearly something that, that has shaped you enormously in the way that you, you approach the world. So, so, okay, tell me what has been the hardest part of your career so far, or perhaps what's been the hardest part of starting your business? Um, yeah, I think just starting it, to be quite honest, getting over the fear of just starting it. I'm kind of a risk adverse person in general, which usually is not aren't the people that start businesses. But uh, I think just, you know, taking that first step and I'm going to get I'm going to butcher this quote, but there's a quote that's um, about business that although you can't see the top of the staircase, take the first step. Um, and so it's kind of a good visual and and something that I did for sure, you know, the entire business for the next 30 years isn't written out in stone, but you just have to get started. And what are you most proud of so far? Probably taking that step, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, it's been quite an interesting road and I was chuckling with my sister that if I ever get famous, like I'll, I'll be able to write a memoir and I don't know how many people read memoirs about plant breeders, but it's been an interesting journey, I guess. Realistically, like, I think that's the thing that holds people back. Nothing's guaranteed, especially in plant breeding, right? And it's it's a massive risk. And, you know, you can... Long-term. Long-term risk and you can do everything right. And, and a fluctuation in the, um, in the markets can completely change your trajectory, good or bad, right? So um, it's, it's a tough thing to do is just to start. And what opportunities do you see for the future? Oh, I think they're, they're limitless. And, you know, and it's, it's development, it's innovation, right? Like there's, there's always room for, there's always going to be room for innovation and, um, agriculture is quite an old industry, bringing it forward and bringing it into the next generation. Um, there's so many things like we're just starting to get to the cusp of what's like biotechnology and those kind of, um, tools and, um, 
farmers are diversifying and, and um, countries are diversifying their imports and exports and, and what consumers are eating is diversifying. And there's always challenges and changing attitudes and, and we get to plant breeders get to keep up with the, 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 those challenges. So I think like very limitless opportunities, I think. Um, and, you know, in my Nuffield, I, I kind of want to highlight that, but um, in Canada right now, it's, it's about making sure that we put our plant breeders into the position where they can take advantage of those opportunities and, and um, move Canada along with the rest of the world as quickly as possible. Tell me what's next for you and for J4 AgriSciences. Okay. So, um, for me, I guess in, on Nuffield, we're kind of waiting until we can start traveling again around the world. And then my travel list is quite extensive and we're pretty excited to get going and, and go investigate some other countries in the world. Um, what's next in the business is, you know, continuing to build up and, and find those gaps and find those key, um, traits and objectives in crops that are going to help take them to their next level. Um, and that's what I'm really excited about as a plant breeder is helping over my, the course of my career, take some of these crops and, and bring them to the next level. And I know it takes, it's going to take 10, 15, 20, 30, 35 years, but um, it's starting those dreams and starting to work towards those goals. That's, uh, you know, keeping, keeping, me energized and and interested in plant breeding for sure excellent dr jody Suter of j4 agriscience thank you very much indeed for your time today you've been listening to plant breeding stories by pbs international and i'm your host hannah senior plant breeding is a pretty specialist podcast topic which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it So if you enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues, and please help others in the plant science community find it by rating this episode and subscribing to the series. If you want to suggest people you'd like us to interview, contact me on Twitter at PBSint or on Instagram at PBS underscore Int. Until next time, stay well.